How can these virtues, especially humility, especially thinking of others more important than ourselves, be a part of our lives? The way you have this humility is by changing the way you think. Understanding the humility of Christmas. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. This week, as Christians celebrate the birth of our Lord, we thought it would be a great opportunity to focus on the spiritual gifts Jesus freely gives to His followers. Today, David uses the text from the book of Philippians looking at humility in a message called The Incarnation. Well, I was trying to think of some unique Christmas passages that might not be normally looked at during the Christmas season One that came to my mind was Philippians, the second chapter, verses 1 through 11. There's a division between verses 4 and 5 that I'll talk about in just a moment. But Philippi was a a church that Paul loved dearly. There was a deep love and affection between him and the Philippians. So when he writes this letter, he's trying to give specific adjurations to a group of people he really loves. So look at what he wanted from this church as we look at Philippians chapter 2, starting with verses 1 through 4. He says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, having in full accord and of one mind, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only at his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So in these verses, Paul tells the Philippians that he really wants them to be a church that's unified in the spirit, have affection and sympathy, great joy, a unity of mind, love being a dominant virtue in their midst, do nothing from selfish ambition. And then he asks the question kind of, well, how does this happen? It's through humility, by thinking others as more important than yourself. And as you do that, you'll be a strong church. Well, many of us read that and say, I would love for Moments of Hope Church to be that way. I mean, all churches should be that way. But here's the key question. How in the world can we do that? How can these virtues, especially humility, especially thinking of others more important than ourselves, be a part of our lives? And Paul gives us the answer in verses 5 through 11. One of the most powerful sections of Scripture in all of the Bible. Uh, It is a hymn that many people think was sung in the early Christian church. And the verses come alive as a Christmas text when you really understand what Paul is saying. So how can you become humble? How can you have other people be more important than yourself? How can you have all of these virtues like humility and love and comfort and care, etc., be a part of your church. Here's what Paul says. Here is verse five. Have this mind among yourselves. What, what Paul is saying here is the way you have this humility and all the other virtues surrounding humility in the church is by changing the way you think. He's saying you are what you think. However you think causes you to behave. Belief causes behavior. So Paul says, have this mind. Think like this. 
If you want to be this kind of church that is guided by humility and thinking others as more important than yourself, have this mind among yourselves in the church, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This kind of mind that Paul's about to describe is guaranteed 100% for all people who are in Christ Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, here's the magnificent thing that happens. His very Holy Spirit is birthed in your heart and you are also in him. He is in you and you are in him. There is this inextricable connection between you and him. His life is totally in you and your life is totally in his. And you have this streaming of life together and you have a guarantee of being able to think like Jesus if you have been born of the Spirit and you have His life within you. So then Paul goes on to divide the rest of these verses into two sections. First of all, he looks at Jesus' own humiliation, and then he looks at Jesus' own exaltation. His humiliation is seen in verses 6 through 8. His exaltation is seen in verses 9 through 11. So let's first of all look at the humiliation of Jesus, how he chose humility and his life that is in us and our life that is in him should have that same humility that is constantly in our minds as we think and choose how to live our lives. Look at verse 6. This Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, let's stop there. Uh, Jesus was equal with God the Father. Now, something that needs to constantly be understood by followers of Jesus is a belief in the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity is an essential of the Christian faith. What it means is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They existed with one another throughout all eternity. So, so when you have your children ask you this question, and mine ask me that question, I don't know any child that doesn't ask this question as they're being taught the faith. Well, God made us, mom and dad. Who made God? Moms and dads out there, have you been asked that question by your kids? Of course. Well, who made God? And the answer is God is always, he is forever. He has always existed. There's no creation point for his beginning. He just always has been. And within the Godhead who has existed forever, before this world was ever created, there is three triune persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. And they perfectly love one another. The idea of personal love existed long before God ever created the angels, long before he ever created you and me. You see, the idea of one God in three persons, a triune God, makes love make sense, doesn't it? Because if God is only one, if he's only monotheistic, if there's not a triune God, how can there be love? Love demands an object of that love. So if you say that there's not a triune God and that God the Father doesn't perfectly love the Son and the Son doesn't perfectly love the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit doesn't perfectly love the Father and the cross-pollinization of all of those loves among the three persons of the Godhead, you're basically saying that God had to first do creation, the angels and humanity, before he could love. But no, the Bible teaches clearly that God is love. 
and he perfectly loved in the Godhead. And that's why he created the angels and you and me was to extend outward in concentric circles that love to the angelic creatures and to you and me who are creatures to share that love for God to be able to love us and us be able to love him and experience the beauty and bounty of his love. And Jesus here, it's clearly stated by Paul, was in the form of God. That, that word form means is God. John 10, 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Jesus perfectly God in every possible way. By the way, we're going to begin next week our study of the Gospel of John. Start reading in John 1. You'll see some other fabulous Christmas verses there as well. And they'll state what this states, that Jesus and God are equal. There is Jesus in the form of God throughout all eternity. Jesus the Son and God the Father are one along with the Holy Spirit. And this Jesus who is in the form of God, perfectly God in every possible way, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, now notice here in this verse that Jesus is equal with God. He, he didn't think his equality, though, was something to be grasped. Now, we love to grasp things, don't we? Especially our idols and what we love most. Uh, imagine a child with some possession and you try to take it away from them for whatever reason. And the child shrugs their shoulders and turns away from you and goes, no, mine, it's mine. And, and that's their way of saying, this is what I own. I'm going to hold on to it no matter what. Now, Jesus' equality with the Father, the Son's equality with the Father was something, though, he did not grasp. He did not hold on to. He did not allow his puny heavenly fingers to hold on to his equality with the Father. It was something that he was willing to open up his fingers and relinquish. It's an amazing thought that Jesus, as God, didn't think his omnipotence, his omniscience, his all-powerful, eternal presence was something to be held on to, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So let's stop for a second and think about this. There was a conversation at some point in eternity that went on and God the Son and God the Father had a conversation that said something like this. They looked down upon us after the angels had been created and we were created and Satan had led the rebellion in heaven and come to the earth and tempted Adam and Eve, introducing sin into their lives and then that causing all of us and all of God's created order to be infected with this disease called sin. Everything in the world now broken and fallen, not operating in original intent as God desired it to operate. That God the Father and God the Son didn't stop loving us when Adam and Eve and then all of us have followed suit in our rebellion against God. We, we all have broken God's moral law. We all have rebelled against Him at some level or another. And it should be that God the Father and God the Son looked at us and said, Oh, in your rebellion, you can just go to hell. 
And interestingly, Jesus said in Matthew 25, verse 41, that hell was created by God for the devil and his angels, for all of those fallen angels that rebelled against the Father and then led us into that same rebellion. God the Father and the Son could have very well said, you just go to hell. Get what you deserve. No mercy whatsoever. Just get what you deserve. But a conversation evidently went on in heaven that was something like this. God the Father looked at the created order, fallen and broken, and he looked at his son, and they both loved one another, and they also loved this world that they had created. And God the Father said to the son, they deserve hell. And God the Son may have said something like, yes, Father, that you're right. And then the Father said, my love still exists for them. I can't get them out of my mind or heart. And yet they can't die and come be with me forever because they're so stained with sin. And in my holiness, I can't have anything to do with them. And God the Son said, I understand that. I feel the same way. And God the Father looked at the Son and said, would you go? Would you go? Would you leave the splendor of eternal bliss and enter the pigsty of that broken, fallen world in order to forgive them of their sins so that they can come be with us forever. Now, look back at this verse after knowing that conversation. The son didn't think equality with the father was something to be grasped. He opened his fist and relinquished his sovereign right to be God and emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. That the Son, by the power of the third person of the Godhead, in the Lucan birth narrative, we see that the Holy Spirit created this child in the womb of a virgin, bypassing the way that original sin is continued to be passed on from human to human to human. The Holy Spirit bypassed that natural way of sin being passed on, and this child named Jesus, named Savior, because he came on a rescue mission to save us from hell, to save us from our sin. He came into this world. He emptied himself. Though equal with God, he chose to empty himself and took on the form of a servant, um, of someone willing to serve and not be served, someone who chose humility and thought, Others, you and me, human beings, were even more important than his own life. And he put on the likeness of man. He took on human flesh. Uh, we call that the incarnation, that God incarnated himself in human flesh in a baby, born in a manger, in Bethlehem, something we celebrate annually called Christmas. Do you see this Christmas text coming alive? God the Father asked the Son to empty himself of much of his sovereign rights and control to come into this world as a baby. And, and though he was perfectly God still in that baby, he was also perfectly man. He was in the likeness of man. And though he still had his deity as a part of his life, there was some parts of his deity that was limited that only the Father knew, just like the second coming when he comes back again. Only the Father knows that day 
or the hour, but the son chose to empty himself. Now, another question that, that kids ask all the time is, well, when Jesus, who's God, came to the earth, and does that mean God is not in heaven and that God's just on earth? And when Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins, uh, does that mean that God died? And was God not in control of the world at that point? And here's what you need to understand. My bet is some of you have been asking, what's this pitcher full of water doing here and this glass also next to it? Well, here's what happened. This is perfectly God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in one person together. But then the Father asked the Son to go, and the Son did not think equality with God was something to be grasped, but said, yes, I'll go in humility, in obedience to the Father, uh, taking on the form of humanity and the likeness of human flesh, and he emptied himself. God the Father and the Son poured himself into human flesh, which is this glass. Now, is God still in heaven? Of course. The pitcher is still full. God the Father still lives in heaven, but he poured himself out. He emptied himself into human flesh in the likeness of man. So God the Father is still in heaven, ruling over everything. And God the Son comes to this earth emptied in human flesh so that we can understand what God the Father wants us to understand. Look, if you wanted to communicate to a bird that was on the verge of death and you had all power available to you and you wanted that bird to live as long as possible, what would you do? You'd become a bird. You would go communicate to that bird in bird language. Here's what you need to do in order to live. Well, similarly, God the Father looked at God the Son and said, would you go and share who I am with those people? So God became a bird. God became a human being and spoke to us in words and languages and styles and forms that we could understand in order to have a view of the form of God, who God is in heaven. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio with an interesting conversation about angels. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and with me today is Bart Noonan with West Boulevard Ministry. Bart, tell us about West Boulevard Ministry. Uh, thank you, Bart, for this opportunity to speak about West Boulevard Ministry, and, and more importantly, about Jesus Christ. West Boulevard Ministry serves the spiritual and physical needs of the families and the communities within the West Boulevard quarter to the glory of Jesus Christ. Whether we're doing neighborhood outreach cookouts, gatherings where we're bringing people outside of their apartments, their homes, into fellowship with one another, or we're doing Bible study bingo the first Wednesday of every month at Little Rock Apartments. And uh, we gather anywhere from 50 to 70 children that we share the gospel with and play bingo after our Bible study portion of the night. And a couple weeks ago, there's a young man who we've been walking with now close to three years who came in, he, he forgot something, like a lot of young, young kids do, he forgot something in the um, space, and he came back in and he ended up praying out myself and all the other volunteers for the West Boulevard ministry team that were gathered there for that night and led us all in prayer and closed it out. And this young man, we've been taking to church every every Sunday for about the past year and a half. And, and that's what it's all about. It's about providing an opportunity for Jesus Christ to work inside someone's heart and, and then encourage them along the way. That sounds great. Now, Bart, if any of our listeners want to get in contact with you, how would they do that? 
The best way to do is uh, either email myself at bart at westboulevardministry.org or they can call me straight up in my cell phone and I always answer. I'm sort of like a doctor. The phone's always on and that's 980-298-9027. I would encourage folks too to also go to our website, which is westboulevardministry.org and there you can see some of our photo galleries. You can see some of the blogs and a lot of things we do throughout the West Boulevard Corridor to the glory of Jesus Christ. It is great having you with us today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. I'm Jen Houston, and with me today is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for being with us today. Hi, Jen. It's great being with you as well. Well, in this morning's Moment of Hope, you described how angels are such an important part of the Christmas story, and I would love to hear more of your thoughts on this. Well, let's first of all ask the question, who are angels? And they are created beings by God. It looks like they were the first concentric circle outward of God's created order as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one God in three persons we Christians worship, learned to love one another. It looks like God created another group of creatures to love, and they were the angels, and then we were the next concentric circle outward human beings to express that love to. But angels have two purposes biblically. It looks like they are before the throne of God worshiping him. Secondly, they are before the throne of God to do God's works for him. And Hebrews 1.14 says they are ministering spirits to be sent to God's elect to help us in our times of need. Psalm 91 gives that idea as well. So in the Christmas narrative, you see one of the archangels, Gabriel. It, It looks like Like in the Bible, there are hierarchies of angelic power, and at the top are archangels. We know that Gabriel is one of those. We know that Michael is one of those. It seems like Satan used to be one of those before his fall. He was a mighty angel. Some have suggested in accordance with Scripture he could have led worship Mm -hmm. in heaven, but he is a mighty fallen angel who has great power now. But God still has in his angelic hierarchy Gabriel and Michael and maybe some others as archangels and then those below them to be sent to us to do his bidding. So Gabriel, one of the archangels, appears in three different lives in the biblical narrative. First of all, there is Zechariah, the priest ministering in the temple. He and his wife Elizabeth barren, old in their age, and they wanted a baby so badly. And Gabriel appears and says, God has heard your prayers. You're going to have a son. His name is John the Baptist. Mm -hmm. And then he also, Gabriel, appears to Mary and tells her that the Holy Spirit's going to do this supernatural work of creating the Savior of the world in her, and his name is to be Jesus, which means the Savior of the world. Then thirdly, he appears to Joseph in his doubts about Mary's pregnancy. How did that happen? He thought she was unfaithful. Gabriel says, no, this child is of God. Be faithful to her. And Joseph puts off divorcing her and continues in their marriage relationship and becomes obviously the father of the Most High God. So we have that angelic appearance to those three major characters. And then we also have the angel who appears to the shepherds and says, hey, this child has been born in Bethlehem. Go see him. And then an angelic choir, probably (laughs) dozens, maybe hundreds of angels break out in kind of a military choir proclamation of glory to God in the highest. The point being, Jen, that angels are throughout the Christmas narrative. They are important biblical creatures. They are here for God's bidding to us in our times of need. Let's this Christmas season ask God 
to send us an angel, maybe even Gabriel mm-hmm. himself, to help wow. us in our times of need. And let us obey if there's a message from the Lord. Mm. So we are not mute like Zechariah was. Right. Let us not doubt when the Lord visits. Yeah, I think God wanted that child, John the Baptist, to be surrounded with faith. Mm-hmm. And those words of doubt, he did not want. So he made Zechariah silent until when he was finally given speech again. What did he do? He praised God Mm. for all of his glorious goodness. Let's do so as well this Christmas season because we have much for which to be thankful. Mm. Thank you so much, David. Merry Christmas to you, Jen. Merry Christmas to you listeners. And ask God for an angel. They are there for his bidding to you to help you in your time of need. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We'd love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. Again, come join us Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte. Our web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to remember the true reason for this season.